Welcome to Engage 360, Denver Seminary's podcast. Join us as we explore the redemptive power of the gospel and the life-changing truth of scripture at work in our culture today. Hey friends, welcome back to Engage 360. We're glad to have you with us here at Denver Seminary. My name is Don Payne. Glad for the opportunity to be your host and I have the fun of conversations with really interesting people each of whom have something unique to contribute or to teach us about what it means to live out the redemptive power of the gospel and the life-changing truth of Scripture. Lots of different people, lots of different conversations, but that's what drives us, and we've got another one this week. Now, if you were with us in our previous episode, I mentioned then that if you have been listening to us and subscribed to Engage 360 for any time, you'll know that we've produced weekly episodes for the last year and a half, and we want to let you know that as we head into the holidays this year, we'll be adjusting our weekly release schedule and adopting a new, somewhat less frequent cadence for this new season. And if you'd like to stay up to date on that when new episodes drop, just make sure that you're subscribed on whatever platform you use. And then you can also follow along on our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter platforms for announcements and content about new episodes. We hope that if you find anything at all helpful in these conversations, you'll tell a friend about it, share something about it on your own social media platforms. And if you have time, give us a rating or review. We'd really appreciate that. And that helps uh, spread the word. Okay, we have, as I said, a sort of ongoing agenda to explore how the gospel powerfully redeems everything, not only human persons, but everything in the created order. Uh, Everything that sin touched, infected, fractured, that's what God ultimately redeems through Jesus Christ. And one riveting but also challenging feature of that redemption is that the gospel reshapes how we think about everything, including like human relationships. Sometime back, we tackled the subject of singleness with Christina Hitchcock in episode 38. And in this episode, we're going to talk about marriage, how the gospel reorients the way we think about that and how we go about that uh, for those who are married or envisioning the prospect of marriage. And so we're delighted to have again with us our president, Dr. Mark Young. Mark, welcome back. Thanks, Todd. This time, however, and for the first time, we are honored to have the First Lady with us, the real brains of the outfit, if I do say so, Priscilla Young. Priscilla, (laughs) welcome. Thank you, Don. Thanks, I think you were going to say. What do I say about that? (laughs) (laughs) Glad to have you both here. Okay, those uh, who know you may not think of you first as marriage counselors. Some may, but you have been married a while. We have. And you have obviously thought a lot about that. In fact, recently contributed a chapter to a book, the chapter entitled Marriage and the Mission of God. Um, Can you tell us, first of all, a little bit about the book and this chapter you wrote? Sure, we'd be glad to do that. There was a, a, a man who runs a ministry in Southern California, and he, along with people at Moody Press, wanted to create a book that approached the topic of marriage theologically. Uh, A lot of marriage literature, very good marriage literature, deals with it relationally, psychologically, emotionally, the practical kind of the how-to questions. 
And he thought it would be a timely book if we talked about what marriage is theologically, why marriage. I just explored the whole question uh, from a little different perspective. So he contacted uh, us, and uh, we had the privilege of writing this chapter while we were on a sabbatical in uh, Cambridge and in uh, France. And, and it, was a, it was a fantastic experience for us to do this. Priscilla, yeah, what do you add to that. Yeah, it was really great. Um, Mark had been working on this whole mission of God paradigm for years, but to actually put marriage into that paradigm, um, we had a lot of great discussions and uh, just uh, sat down and said, you know, what do we believe about marriage and how have we worked that out in our lives? And I will add that we were not only at Cambridge and on the coast of France, but we were also um, at the John Stott Retreat in southwest Wales on the coast. So this was a really fun experience to be able to. Great places to to think about relationships. (laughs) We did the line-by-line edit at the end on a train going to visit Normandy. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So it was great for our marriage, too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's good good to have that strengthened while you're talking about it yes. for other people. Okay, you, Mark, you mentioned that they, they wanted you or you wanted to maybe think about marriage in some slightly different ways. What, now, you have at the beginning of this chapter, you have six theses or six key ideas, and we can kind of loop back to some of those as touch points along the way today. But, but overall, what are some of the uh, maybe unexpected or unconventional moves that you make in this chapter about marriage? Yeah, I mean, I think at the beginning, we kind of have to talk about the nature of the Bible, right? So a lot of us as Christians, we want to get our bearings on marriage from what the Bible says. And so if we're not careful, we can turn the Bible into a marriage manual. So, And we use that word biblical a lot, right? So this is biblical marriage if you do X, Y, and Z as opposed to A, B, and C. And certainly the Bible provides real wisdom about marriage. It talks about marriage both descriptively as well as prescriptively. But our premise is in order for us to understand marriage as it's presented in Scripture, we have to understand that Scripture itself is the story of God's redemptive mission in the world. So to the degree that the Bible says anything about marriage, it says what it does about marriage in the framework of God's desire to be known and worshiped by all people and how he uses his own people to accomplish that end. So that's kind of the framework we started with. And and then as we were working with that framework, we just kind of stepped back and said, okay, we've been married at that point, 36, 37 years. How have we lived this out? What, what does it mean practically in our marriage? And then we started the chapter with that list, just so people knew where we're, where we were coming from. You, um, you obviously forged much of your not only your marriage but your thinking about marriage in the context of um, what we would op- often call missionary ministry. The the years that you s- served in Poland. Um, how how did that experience, or maybe other experiences? challenge your own views about marriage and contribute to how you currently view it? Well, I have to say that we started out, um, we began our dating relationship with a common calling to missions. 
So that was one of our first conversations. So as we started dating, we knew that we were already headed in the same direction, and that was really important to us. And then when we applied to the mission, actually before we got married, um, we were getting ready to get married. Mark was writing his senior thesis at seminary, and we were applying to the mission. So it was a very busy time. But I was, um, I had to do an application. He had to do an application. We had to go through the same testing and so forth. So it was really a joint uh, calling, and it was treated as a joint appointment. It wasn't just him and me along. And then uh, we were married, and we went to Austria first. And when we got there, we pretty immediately met a couple about 10 years down the road from us. He's actually a Denver SEM grad. And they mentored us in this whole idea of being together on mission in our marriage. So from the very beginning, we started um, with this idea that our marriage was bigger than us. It was about being on God's mission together. And that just played itself out um, during our time in Austria, during our time in Poland. And every time we've made a decision to make a new change in our ministry, it's been out of that, that idea that um, our marriage is on God's mission and how can we best move forward in that way. You make this statement in your chapter that the mission of God turns marriage inside out. What, explain that. Yeah, I mean, I think, frankly, the gospel turns us inside out, uh, doesn't yeah, it? Right? Yeah, yeah, in every way. And, and so the idea of the, of the mission of God turning the marriage inside out is that it calls us, it, it demands that we see our marriages as more than that which is beneficial to us. So our marriage isn't created or we don't get married to satisfy our own needs. Our marriage is actually the way whereby having our needs being met by our mate, we are able then to focus and take our marriage and make it a paradigm or make it an example of what it means to know Christ. So it's seeing marriage in relationship to others as opposed to simply seeing marriage as something for us in, internally. Um, that's what it means to t- be turned inside out. You work, uh, in the chapter, you work um, a lot from Genesis 2, uh, that what's sometimes called the dominion mandate, cultural mandate, um, particularly the latter part of that, verses 18 to 23. And, and here's a quote I, I picked up on. You said, this passage isn't just about the joy and satisfaction of two individuals, and it's not to be read as simply God's solution for loneliness. Um, it seems like that challenges or reconfigures some pretty widespread popular notions about marriage. Yeah, no question. I mean, the reality is most people— e- Even get, among Christians, I might say. No question, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think the reality is, particularly in an individualistic society— and in a society that's given to wanting to figure out how to meet my needs, people get married for that purpose. I'm going to get married to meet my needs. And the harsh reality is marriages that are built on two people trying to have their own needs met, generally speaking, creates a self-defeating proposition, yeah, right? It always kind of runs from us. Yes, exactly. It's never going to work. So when, when the Lord says it's not good for a man to be alone— I don't think we want to psychologize that and to say, oh, poor Adam, he was feeling lonely. 
I think the reality of that passage is Adam could not fulfill the mandate that had been given to humanity to nurture the earth, to represent God as his image bearers throughout all the earth and even fill the earth with God's image. Adam couldn't do that by himself. He needed another person to come alongside him as his partner, as his equal, in order to fulfill that mandate. And so uh, the story narrates God's creation of Eve. A few years ago, uh, actually right after we moved here, I discovered the work of Carolyn Custis James. And uh, she's written quite a number of books, but in one of her books, um, I believe it was um, Lost Women of the Bible. Her chapter on Eve talks about a blessed alliance of men and women on the mission of God. And it's not just marriage, a man and woman in marriage, but throughout the scripture, you see men and women being used by God together to fulfill that mandate. Um, But it finds its probably, you know, most obvious form in a marriage when we come together to fill the earth with more image bearers and to, um, to do what God has called us to do. So that term blessed alliance has been really important to us since we discovered it. Um, in just talking about this whole idea of men and women together on the mission of God, and as husband and wife, we're a blessed alliance on yeah. the mission of God. I like that phrase, and uh, I'm going to pick up on and, and push a bit on one aspect of that, because you know that an, an, where a number of people's minds will go is, well, does does that mean that if I'm not married, that I'm somehow less able to fulfill that mission of God? Boy, I'm going to go back to, was it Christina Hitchcock? Yeah. I'm going to go mm-hmm. back to her podcast. Mm-hmm. I thought her podcast was absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And some of the things she said, I just stood there in my kitchen listening to it and thinking, that is amazing. Um, she said some things that I don't recall hearing. And I've been a Christian for a long, long time. And I've heard a lot of sermons and <laughs> a lot of Bible teaching. But if you put her podcast together with what we're doing, I think you get a really good picture of how we together as men and women, not just husbands and wives, are called to fulfill the mission of God. And I think she really addressed that without using the term, but I think she really addressed that um, in singleness and um, how we have so much to learn um, from our single brothers and sisters um, and uh, and together, even as singles, men and women coming together to fulfill the mission of God. So, yeah, I I loved what she said, and I think you could take these side by side yeah. and have a pretty full picture. Yeah, parenthetically, <laughs> if anybody wants to use these as resources for discussion groups or teaching in, in your ministry setting, uh, do that. Pull, pull these both out, this one and then episode 38, and listen to them together. I think one of the real problems we have is we read— that passage of the creation of, of, of Eve, and then we immediately see them together as a couple, and we think that the creation of woman is primarily for the purpose of marriage, right? The idea is that the creation of male and female together, males and females, the formation of humanity, gives humanity the possibility to fulfill that mandate. So there's much to be said there, not just about marriage, but about how men and women together are able to do what God created them to do and why God created them to be the image of God. 
I'm, I'm, I'm grinning because you're reminding me of something my wife told me, and I, th- I think we probably got married the same year. You two did, I think. 81. 81, yeah. Yep. Um, and I remember she told me early on in our marriage, I am not your appendage. And <laughs> that, that kind of put, you know, put me on the rails, kind of set, set me on the right course in some ways. Uh, but it was, it was a very clear signal that uh, th- this, is, this is not just your thing that I'm joining. This is our thing. We, we have a purpose bigger than ourselves. Yeah, and I think that the tragedy is because we've read it primarily from a patriarchal perspective, yeah. we not only see marriage as the reason that that woman is created, but we see it in a hierarchical fashion. Mm. But if we're willing to step back from the text and say, this is the way God describes the creation of humanity and how all humanity as the image of God has the opportunity to represent and reveal God throughout all the earth, then that makes it an even more powerful passage. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think one of the things that Christina pointed out in that podcast was that um, it's not about singleness. It's not about marriage. It's about being the body of Christ together as men and women, single and married together as a primary identity rather than singles and married as primary identity. And I thought that was just fantastic because as we see ourselves together as the body of Christ on the mission of God, as men and women, um, we see a much fuller picture of what Jesus intended. Yeah. you. Uh, one of your key ideas in your chapter is that, if I could find it here, uh, uh, that you say our marriage is an entity that's greater than the sum of the two individuals. God brings a couple together in marriage to accomplish more than they could do as individuals. How has that worked out for the two of you? Oh, no, no question. <laughs> On the one hand, you have that marvelous, refining part of marriage where, frankly, I'm a better human being because of the privilege of being married to Priscilla for almost 40 years. And, uh-oh, somebody's going to do the math and figure out how old we yeah, are. Yeah. Sorry about that. Well, you right? got married very young. Very, though, right? <laughs> I, right. We all know that. She was a child bride. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I would say without a doubt, I better reflect the person and character of God, engage God's mission to make the gospel an issue in the world because I'm married. Secondarily then, not secondarily, alongside of that, we see clearly that when we think about the mission of God, we think about a community of people, right? God's people. And marriage is a major part of the way God's people with living in strong marriages create a corporate testimony of what it means to know the one true God and the benefits of knowing the one true God. This is the part of the chapter where we talk about the law in the Old Testament. So much of what God described for his people relates to the family, because if they had strong families, then the people of God would live out a testimony of who God is and what he's about in a way that they couldn't just as individuals attempting to create a nation. Well, okay, let's think about in a typical church setting, church life, or any ministry setting, what, um, what's, the, what's the kind of redemptive interface between married people and single people as the, as the body of Christ together for the mission of God? How do we do that thing? Well, I think if, if we go back to that first premise that the whole 
issue is male and female as humanity being what God desired, and in that the, the fullness of knowing God can be made, then whether you're married or whether you're single actually becomes a secondary issue to how, as a human being, being male and female, you're going to contribute in, uh, uh, to what God's about in the world or how God is known. That's the issue. So as married couples relate well to one another and as they relate well to those who aren't married and as they relate well to those other married couples and as they relate well on and on and on, then we create an image of what it means to be redeemed. So I, I don't see it as kind of this mystical, magical thing that as a married person we can do more because we're married. We, we are able as married people to live out what it means to know Christ with single people so that the world can see what that means. When we lived in Poland, we had a colleague who was a single woman, and she had a great ministry. She was an English teacher at the school there. She had a great ministry with students at the school, and um, they wanted to do a Bible study. So she asked us if we would do that with her and Mark would teach. So we did, and we said, you know, we can have it in our home. And she had had a, had a group with this. She had had a meeting, like, for a long time with this group of people in her little tiny apartment. Anyway, we moved to our house, and um, the dynamic of the group changed. They liked the teaching, but the dynamic really changed. And um, she finally talked to some of the leaders, and she said, you know, what's the problem? Like, you guys aren't talking, and we're not having a lot of discussion, and it's just not the way it used to be. And she said, or the the group leader said, we feel like we're meeting at the bishop's house. <laughs> <laughs> And, um, yeah, that'll freeze a conversation yeah. any time, won't it? <laughs> but, the, but the point was her ministry as a single woman with those um, students was so great. And as a married couple that they weren't familiar with, it wasn't so great. And when we went back and all squeezed into her tiny little apartment, it became great again. And it was so cool to see how... Um, together, the three of us really ministered to that group of students, a single woman who had the primary place in their lives, bringing us in as a married couple. So, I mean, that was just, that's always stuck in my mind. And, you know, what she was able to accomplish and engage with them that we weren't able to accomplish and yeah. engage because huh. we're married and we had kids and we had responsibilities. I mean, she could go off and be with them and go on hikes and go to the mountains and so forth. But it was just a great it was just a great um, team effort there, you know. That's a great example. You know, it's interesting, Don, having uh, Priscilla grew up in Africa, so she's a missionary kid and has been around the missions world. And we together were with our mission for 14 years. And to be perfectly frank, we experienced and saw so much more how women contribute to God's work in the world in that mm -hmm. setting than we had ever seen mm -hmm. in our churches here in the United States because of the restrictions that are placed on women. And oftentimes what Christina talked about, how single women or those who aren't married are looked upon with a very different set of eyes, like they're not fully adult. Well, in our setting, we knew many single women whose work for the kingdom was awe-inspiring, if not humbling. In fact, we named our daughter after a, a, a single woman who was serving Christ in a communist country in a way that I didn't see any man attempting to do. Wow. Mm -hmm. 
So we we have a tremendous appreciation for how God uses men and women together for the sake of his kingdom outside the normal restrictions that sometimes we see in more professionalized ministry in church or in churches where women aren't allowed to do certain things. Yeah, one theologian I read on marriage some years ago put it this way that our culture sometimes even christian culture tends to idolize marriage Mm -hmm. and the gospel actually relativizes marriage doesn't trivialize it but it relativizes it Mm -hmm. Uh, well i agree with that but i would say that the gospel also allows us to see marriage as an incredible picture of a faithful god and a faithful spouse right a faithful church Mm -hmm. So when Paul talks about marriage in Ephesians chapter 5, and we get you know all around, around the axle about submission up there, the point of that whole thing is so that the mystery of the church will be right. made known, right? So there, marriage becomes a beautiful way to illustrate the power of faithful relationship, mm-hmm. how God is faithful to his people and how his people are faithful to God. And in that, there's a beautiful picture of the gospel. So marriage becomes a way for the gospel to be communicated, right, mm-hmm. in that faithful relationship. Yeah. Well, and I think the your use of the uh, indefinite article there was theologically significant. <laughs> it becomes a way. Right. That's a, exactly a, a, right. An important way, mm-hmm. but a way. And I would say in that passage that the verse there at the end and this is a mystery, and I'm talking about Christ in the church, is the summit of that passage. Like Mark said, we get all wound around the roles, and we miss the summit. And, you know, when he says, this is a mystery of Christ in the church, and marriage is that picture. You know, it's no mistake that in the Old Testament as well, idolatry is often talked about in terms of adultery. So the gospel calls us to a faithfulness to God. Marriage calls us to a faithfulness to our partner. And in that, we mirror the human response to this, to this one who has created us. I, I think that is something we underestimate too much. Mm. I, I don't know um, whether either of you have formal training in marriage therapy or marriage counseling or anything like that we do not you do not okay um i will also assume however that you that in the course of your ministry you've probably interacted with a lot of you may have done some premarital counseling interacted with a little bit yeah with uh people who are thinking about getting married so how do you translate this uh let me put it differently if you're giving advice to couples considering marriage they're engaged to be married or they're in the early stages, what do you tell them? How how does this drive what you say to them? Well, I think we ought to admit first that our premarital counseling began with mixed results. (laughs) Not our premarital counseling, but the premarital counseling we offer (laughs) young couples. I think we were like one for three in terms of people actually getting married. Depending on what sport you're playing, that's not (laughs) bad. Early in our marriage um, in Vienna, we led the singles group at our international chapel, and we talked one couple out of getting married. So that was our first premarital counseling. Right. But, um, yeah, they're, they're beating a path to your door then, aren't they? <laughs> but we, we did premarital counseling when we needed to in the context of being missionaries. But whenever Mark has been asked to do an, a wedding in the States, 
we um, we meet together and we talk about the wedding together and a little bit of counseling, but we tell them to go get premarital counseling from a pastor, from a counselor, whatever, um, so that they don't get the not trained premarital counseling. Yeah. Well, but mostly we talk to couples after marriage because we've been okay. in theological ed now with young couples for all these years. Yeah. And, um, you know, we... For here, for instance, whenever we have an opportunity to talk to couples about this, we just talk to them about, you know, how can you, how can you um, talk about a shared calling in your marriage? Okay. Um, and it doesn't have to be specific, but like, have you ever talked about that? And talk about being a team in marriage and so forth. And um, for a number of years since I've been here, I've met with wives, either formally or informally, and um, these are the things that we talk about. Yeah, I think for, for us, we we strongly believe you just need to marvel at the intricacy of your mate, at the giftedness. And part of the joy of marriage is as a as a partner, you're able to encourage and draw out those marvelous gifts and qualities that your mate has, and allow them to see how God is using those in the lives of others. And then secondarily, this idea of a shared calling, even though you may be very different, you may be, your gifts are going to be different, your backgrounds are different, you're blending that together. What can you say that together you want God to do through you as a couple? Doesn't mean you have to do the same things, but it means that whatever you're doing, you're doing it for a common purpose. So Priscilla and I are are dramatically different in a lot of ways. I like the way she sums it up. She says, you speak, I talk. So I'm up there, I'm speaking, (laughs) right? You know, I'm kind of doing the thing, waving my arms like a lunatic and raising my voice. And she's having great conversations with people, right? So I speak, she talks. Okay. But we do that with a common calling. Our our passion in marriage is to help men and women pursue God in his mission in whatever way that we can. And so we're constantly— seeing God bring us into relationships to help do that. How do you think this could help pull couples who hit rough patches in the road, which all couples do probably in, in one way or another, you know, hit hit rough patches, they have struggles, difficulties. How How would this approach to marriage, this mentality about marriage, help pull them through some of those rough spots? You know, um, I should say first, we never want to underestimate the seriousness of the issues that some people face. But I do think that sometimes as couples, we underestimate how important our marriage is to others who are looking in on us. Mm -hmm. And I think if we see our marriage as bigger than ourselves and keeping our marriage together, whatever it takes— for the sake of others besides ourselves, um, I think couples would have greater motivation to do the hard work of keeping their marriage together because the ripple effect of keeping our marriage together in good ways is amazing. And the ripple effect of a Christian marriage that dissolves is huge. And I think everybody who's experienced that would would agree. But sometimes I believe we don't see the tremendous impact on others that our marriage has. And I think that's important. You know, now that you say that, I'm 
kind of rewinding my own mental, my own memory, and I don't recall ever hearing anybody talk about the effect of keeping a marriage on others other than children. Yeah. I mean, I hear that a lot. You know, what, what, and if there are no children, well, you know, just us, what does it matter? Mm-hmm. But I, I, and I really appreciate that. I've never heard anybody talk about the ripple effect on others out, outside of a family unit. And ultimately, that is a ripple effect in terms of the testimony of a Christian couple, right? Sure. Does the gospel make a difference? Well, it's supposed to, but it evidently didn't in your marriage. So yeah. what use is it or what does it matter? So well, I think that yeah. testimony piece, as long, alongside of that relational damage, that destruction that it wreaks in the lives of others, is really important. And let me be quick to say we, we are not therapists and would— I, I would say personally, I don't feel comfortable helping couples navigate deeply seated uh, brokenness mm-hmm. that really requires professional attention. So we typically don't enter into that. Mm-hmm. And we also, again, want to say that with great sensitivity. Sure. Because we haven't faced that that kind of thing. We've faced our own brokenness and our own issues and so forth, but... Um, I know that people face things that we can't even imagine. So we say that with great sensitivity. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. Okay, so I'm going to put myself in the role of a listener who is thinking, this all sounds really spiritual, but rather utilitarian. Where's the romance? I mean, give me some Jane Austen here. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Well, I mean, I would say... As we, uh, as we have enjoyed each other for 39 years in, in every area. Uh, the fact that we see ourselves engaged in something bigger than ourselves actually enhances Priscilla's beauty to me. It's, it's just a marvelous thing to think that I can live in close, in such a close, nurturing, loving, satisfying relationship with someone as gifted as she is, with someone who is passionate about Jesus as she is. So there is intense romance that's a part of seeing one another in that way. Yeah, I remember when we um, uh, first went to the other seminary that we were at before we came here, Mark was on faculty, and um, we would talk to couples and, you know, couples that were, or or singles who were dating or whatever. Starry-eyed. Yeah, sometimes starry-eyed, but sometimes more engaged in thinking about the ministry and who would be a good ministry partner. And we were like, okay, now wait a minute here. You know, you got to have somebody that you deeply love and that you can't imagine life without that person, not without that ministry partner. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you, there's got to be that, that, you know, love and commitment and joy in one another, um, as well as the you know, the common vision of what yeah. God's going to do with us. Well, Jane, Jane Austen is resting peacefully. In her oh, phew, I'm really glad. <laughs> you know what's amazing, Don? I mean, honestly, we, we look at each other and think back over our marriage and everything that God has allowed us to see and to do and to experience together, neither of us could have anticipated the life that God has laid before us. And it has been so deeply satisfying and befuddling and fun and heartbreaking at times. You just look back and you say, I'm so glad I did this with you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. One of the things that we wrote, I'll read this, is our marriage is to be grounded inwardly but focused outwardly. 
the strength of our marriage and integrity of our family life determine the strength and integrity of our ministry. And that kind of goes along with this. So um, uh, one of the ladies that I've been working with um, as we mentor wives, she said, you know, what about working on the marriage? And, And I said, well, of course we have to have a strong and solid marriage um, and relationship before we can really talk about, you know, a strong ministry together. So, you know, and going back to your original question on that, there does have to be a strength of the marriage and a strength of your love for one another and, you know, just all the things that we think about that make a good marriage. And laughter is a big one, and we laugh a lot. We had we were walking across a parking lot at a conference one time, and the speaker met us coming the other way, and he's like, you guys laugh a lot, don't you? Which, of course, made us laugh. But, you know, if we didn't laugh a lot, we'd probably cry a lot because, you know, yeah, it's, it's stressful. Comp- it's compensation. It's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but good compensation. Uh, Mark and Priscilla Young, thank you. What You're a, What a delight to, to hear from you about a really great topic yeah other yeah. than politics yeah um, t- okay so the chapter of your the title of your chapter is marriage and the mission of God what's the book that it's in the book is called marriage its foundation theology and mission in a changing world and it's put out by Moody press okay good get yourself a copy this uh, has been engaged 360 from Denver Seminary we as always are really grateful you would spend some time with us we hope it's been beneficial for you love to hear from you email us at podcast at denverseminary.edu and periodically please check out our website we've got lots of good resources there for you uh, many of them are free and we'd love to build into your life in any way we can so stay in touch with us talk to you next time <laughs>